Welcome to Kidney Commute, brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation, driven by the interprofessional team with emphasis on the patient voice. In each episode, we will incorporate the perspectives of the different members of the kidney team as well as the patient. Join our huddle on all things kidney health and allow new perspectives to inspire collaboration in your practice. Eligible listeners can earn credit along the way. The Kidney Commute, a continuing education podcast planned by the team for the team. Welcome back to The Kidney Commute, an interprofessional podcast brought to you by the National Kidney Foundation. I'm Dori Minch. As a transplant social worker at Wake Forest Baptist Hospital, I work with post-transplant patients, and it is my pleasure to be leading today's discussion about health literacy. Today, we're going to focus on health literacy and its importance in equity and health outcomes. I have a great interprofessional team with me today to discuss this topic, and I'm going to pass it over to them to introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Karen Greathouse. I'm a kidney transplant dietitian. I've been a transplant dietitian at the University of Michigan for eight years. Prior to that, I had over 20 years working in dialysis with both peritoneal and hemo. And I can see firsthand how health literacy is so important. Hi, I'm Dr. Anju Yadav. I'm a transplant nephrologist from Thomas Jefferson University Hospital in Philadelphia. I serve as a program director for transplant fellowship and assistant director for living kidney transplant at our institute. And I'm happy to be here because this is a topic which is close to my heart. Hello, everybody. I am Tanisha Campbell, the community relations coordinator with Gift of Life Michigan, MOTEP, and a kidney recipient and peer mentor with University of Michigan. Hello, my name is Colleen Satterino. I have had the privilege of being a kidney transplant social worker at the University of Michigan for the last 16 years, and I am excited to chat with my colleagues about health literacy. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Katie McMurray. I am currently a clinical pharmacist and solid organ transplant at the University of Michigan or Michigan Medicine where I provide clinical services to adult and pediatric solid organ transplant programs. I'm also the um, PGY2 residency program director for the pharmacy program at Michigan Medicine. Great, well, I'm excited that everybody's here with us today. Anju, before we really get into how we can impact health literacy and why it's important, can you define health literacy for us from a provider's perspective? Thank you, Dori. That was a very important question. As uh, we all know that health literacy is critical to empowerment. We work in a complex healthcare system and it's very difficult for a very well aware person to navigate this, not so much with our patients who might have a poor health literacy. Based on the HRSA definition, health literacy is the degree at which individuals have the capacity to obtain, process and understand the basic health information which is needed to make appropriate health decisions. And low health literacy is seen in patients who are older, minority population, those who have low socioeconomic status and medically underserved people. The education status is not indicative of uh, health literacy. A very educated patient, people with diplomas and degrees can be very poor health literacy, have a poor health literacy as well. Uh, We talk about informed consents in medicine all the time and It's not possible if the patient didn't understand a single thing that was explained to them. So we need very culturally competent providers who can break down the information to a very simple format so that it can assist the patients to make those healthcare choices with fully aware of the benefits and the risks and everything that entails. 
health literacy is much more than just reading uh, ability to read the pamphlets the brochures to make appointments and so forth anyone and everyone can be prone to low health literacy it waxes and wanes uh, a same person can go through phases of uh, low health literacy as well so in a nutshell i think if all our patients can have access to all the wonderful information that we have and make the best decisions for themselves it would be such a wonderful scenario to empower them um, give them the whole capacity to be their best advocate to be able to recognize address and intervene on the patients with poor health literacy and make the resources available to them is one of the most important ways to accelerate the progress in reducing the inequities in the health and beyond it's a very very important aspect and very important question thank you thank you anju for those definitions Tanisha, can you share your experience with health literacy and how it's impacted you and your kidney journey? Yes. So I was rather young when I was diagnosed with kidney disease. In fact, I was eight years old. And I remember going for checkups and seeing several different people from many different parts of my medical team. However, at the age of eight, I had no idea what was going on. We didn't have any coloring books that explained to me what the kidneys did. We didn't have any information that was appropriate for my age. Most of the information went over my head. So I was glad to have family there that could break down all of the information to me. And I always think it's important to have somebody else in the room with you when you are learning new information because they can always go back and assist you in understanding things at that moment when it's a lot of information being thrown to you at one time. And I remember when I was 22, starting dialysis, my kidneys failed all of a sudden. And the next day I started dialysis. Well, to me, dialysis was an older person's disease or an older person's form of treatment because I never heard of somebody my age being on dialysis. So there wasn't much literature out there for a young black female that was starting dialysis. There wasn't much information out there for a young female that was starting dialysis. All of my physicians talked over my head, but it was one nurse who came in and broke everything down to me on a level that I can understand. And I think I can accredit her with the success that I had while I was going through kidney failure and dialysis and transplant because she was the one who took the time out to educate me on a level that I was able to understand. Thank you for sharing that experience with us. I can't imagine being 22 without anyone around you that was willing to take the time to educate you and, and recognize your need for education. And so I'm so grateful that nurse took the time out and I'm hoping that we can learn today a little bit more how to do that for all of our patients. Yes. Colleen, in your experience as a social worker, can you share a little background about why we as healthcare renal professionals should be interested in this? Absolutely, Dory. So as members of, you know, renal dialysis and transplant teams, we really have a responsibility to patients to be really intentional and mindful when we're educating and communicating health information to the patient and caregivers. As a transplant social worker, I meet patients as they begin their evaluation for transplant, 
This is a very stressful time for patients and families as they're trying to adjust to their disease and understand the idea of kidney transplant. And, you know, really my goal is, uh, you know, to really have the focus on the patient and to meet them where they are in their understanding of their condition and treatment um, and transplant as a treatment choice. We as professionals want to impart so much information, but it's really important for us to think about the pace and the amount of health information that we share in one time and in one session with patients and families. And you know, I think we also have to be aware of whether patients are receiving and absorbing that information. So really looking at it as, um, you know, uh, we're giving information, and we have to be aware of how the patient um, is really accepting and, and, and reaching a level of understanding. If I can also add, Dory, you know, I also think that we can look to some of the guidance from the Department of Health and Human Services. Every 10 years, they publish their Healthy People um, report that really outlines the goals that, uh, you know, DHHS has in improving access to healthcare. And health communication has been one of those goals for the past several decades. And in their most recent report, they highlighted something called organizational health literacy, which is sort of interesting to me. And that's really looking at organizations and how well individuals who are in a healthcare organization or health system, you know, how easy is it for patients to find understand and use health information to make informed choices. So, you know, all of us work for um, health organizations and, and, you know, as a, as a greater entity, it's important for them to look at health education, how is material presented, are there resources for non-English speaking patients? And so really being mindful of what is out there and is it accessible to all patients? Colleen, that's so wonderful. And I think that it brings up so many really important points. There was a time probably not very long ago where someone that didn't speak the language of the healthcare provider may have been determined not to be a candidate for transplant or some modality because it was difficult to communicate with them. And that is no longer a reason that someone isn't a candidate for a therapy or, or a treatment option. And I feel that limits in health literacy is, is the same thing. We need to be where our patients are and and speak to them in a language that's meaningful and impactful to them. And I think as a team and, and healthcare providers in the renal community that we can really improve outcomes with patients when we can get to their health literacy level and provide education to them at that level. Anju, from your perspective as a provider, how can we as healthcare workers impact this? I think as a healthcare worker, there are multiple opportunities for us to recognize and overcome this barrier of health literacy. Everyone in this group and the audience will, uh, you know, they know that patients with kidney disease or patients on dialysis or waiting for transplant or post transplant, these are the, this, this population of patient is, is someone who is, has multiple interactions, multiple touch points with the healthcare team, various healthcare team. Patients on dialysis are in dialysis unit, you know, multiple times a week. Patients with transplant have, you know, they, they see their providers very, very frequently, frequent labs. And I think as a healthcare system, healthcare workers, it's the onus is on us to use every interaction 
to be suspicious, to be able to identify patients with poor health literacy, recognize it and to help our patients to have the best outcome that there is possible with all the different modalities, different resources that we have. When we are interacting with these patients, we should be aware uh, by using simplified, simple language, short sentences, slowly speaking, your speed shouldn't be too much and avoid the technical terms entirely. We might expect that patient who has been in the system or post-transplant understand certain terms, but we cannot take that lightly or we cannot just assume it. So always try to ask the patients, would they understand? Ask open-ended questions. Did they understand? What did they understand? How are they going to do a certain instruction that you've asked them to do? Rather than asking yes or no close-ended questions, ask the patients to repeat the instructions that you have given them or to demonstrate and use multimodal visual, audiovisual uh, modalities, as Tanisha was saying, you know, books, videos, pamphlets, brochures, simplified and broken down to the level of understanding that they need. And organize the information. When we give them a booklet, when they come, for example, transplant eval, the booklet is so huge with so many pamphlets and brochures that, that they, they can get lost in that information. And it's too much overwhelming information. At the same time, it's very important to deliver the education, the information that we are given based on the age, the bag, cultural background, the ethnicity, and the racial diversity of our patients. We have to kind of tailor make our instructions, our education based on that. Understand that where they're coming from. Understand what their interaction in their culture with the healthcare system is. You know, so there are some cultures where they give the full autonomy to the healthcare providers. And in the Western culture, the autonomy is with the patient. So understand that when there's a discrepancy in what you expect or anticipate and what the patient's family or patient is telling you. So having that cultural awareness is equally important. Recognizing or having the high suspicion that the patient is not understanding the English or the language that you're providing the information. Using or offering interpreter services or translation services every time if you're suspecting that they're not able to understand what you're telling them. Uh, improving the physical environment, making them comfortable. If there is, a, say, a Spanish-speaking person in your office, maybe they can assist the Spanish-speaking person in a much more effective and, and you know, useful manner than uh, with a translator. So having all these things in mind and being suspicious of low health literacy, they can really, really overcome the barrier and have the best outcome with our patient and give them the education that they need. Thank you so much for that. Colleen, what tools, if any, are available to assess health literacy? Thanks for that question, Dory. There are a handful of health literacy assessment tools, and many of them have been developed over the last few decades. Some of them focus on reading, and some of them focus on math and uh, the ability to manage medication. I'll just mention uh, a few that have been present in a lot of the literature. One is the S-TOFLA, or the Short Test of Functional Health Literacy in Adults. That takes about 12 minutes to administer, and it's 36 reading comprehension items. Then there is the REALM, R-E-A-L-M, uh, which is the rapid estimate of adult health literacy in medicine. That takes just three minutes. And that is 125 health-related words tested for pronunciation. Then there's also the Realm SF and the Realm T. Realm SF is short form and Realm T is transplant-specific word. 
And that's just seven health words tested for pronunciation. Then there's the brief health literacy screen, which is uh, three quick questions that ask patients if they need any assistance in filling out forms, in navigating the health system and reading materials. Then lastly, there's the newest vital sign. Uh, that takes six minutes to administer. And it is more of a math-related uh, assessment in a way. It's a six-item assessment of reading an ice cream nutritional label. So they are looking at the different aspects of the nutritional label. So many of these have been tested in research settings. Some of them are in practice in clinical settings. Thanks, Colleen. It sounds like there are a lot of options. How would one go about implementing health literacy screenings, either in their dialysis unit or in a transplant center? Is it, is it difficult? I know a lot of those evaluations you mentioned sound like they're pretty brief. Yes, yeah, some of them are quite brief. Some of them do take a bit longer to administer, and some of them have been tested in clinical environments and some mainly in a research arena. So I could share our experience at Michigan Medicine. Probably about four or five years ago, we were uh, really wanting to work to identify patients in the pre-transplant phase who we felt might need additional assistance with medication management. And we felt that including a health literacy screen can contribute to some of the information that we're already gathering about medication management, understanding how organized a patient is with their medication. Do they have anyone who helps them? How do they do a dialysis in general? That really helps us to understand how a patient organizes their medical care and their medication. But after looking at several different screening tools, we landed on the Realm SF, which is asking the patient to read seven health words, as I said, that are tested for pronunciation. And if any of the words are missed, then it gives us a heads up that a patient may struggle with some of the medical information, written medical information we may provide to them. And so we note that in our social work assessment and uh, that really helps to uh, help the greater team, you know, nursing, pharmacy, nephrology, dietitian to understand if a patient just might need some extra support and to certainly uh, pay more attention and be mindful if we suspect that they are struggling and, and to quickly offer assistance. So for us, we wanted to choose a screening tool that did not add a lot of time to our social work assessment, just being mindful that, uh, you know, we have so much that we want to discuss with a patient, but we did carve out, you know, this one, uh, you know, we did carve out time to focus on health literacy also. That's great. Katie, how does someone interpret these results? I know Colleen just mentioned your workplace model already in place. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? So we do have a workplace model in place. So social work does all of the screening prior to transplant. 
And it really begins with that assessment of health literacy with those assessment tools administered by the social work team. But the thing is, it does not stop there. It gives us a baseline understanding of what a patient understands or what they know about their medications or what they know about the healthcare system. But it doesn't stop there because health literacy is multifaceted and multimodal. It is difficult to encompass everything in one tool or, or one assessment. As a pharmacist in the educational sessions that we provide post-transplant, we conduct these in-person, one-on-one with patients and their families. And it really gives us a better sense of their understanding of how well they understand their medications prior to transplant or even their disease state prior to transplant while they were on dialysis. This is a really big indicator of the understanding of their chronic disease states, the complications, their medications, and their ability to learn new medications after transplant. Secondly, questions asked by the family and recipients are another big indicator of their understanding. So if we're giving education and they're asking about questions or they're asking questions that are relevant or irrelevant, it really gives us a great indication of whether or not patients are following new information or what their health literacy is. Really, it gives them the opportunity to focus on what they think is important and what they think is important to their health. And so it gives us a really good indication of what they understand so far with all the information that they've been provided. And then thirdly, after education is provided in patient, a pharmacist pharmacist sees every every single patient in clinic for their first education, and we give them more verbal education. We use this more as a spot check, and we ask more questions than we do provide, because a bigger emphasis is given on assessing the patient's understanding and retention. And we can do that also by doing a pillbox check. So every patient is instructed to fill a pillbox based on their medication regimen at discharge after transplant. A pharmacist will then go through their entire pillbox with them and assess it for errors. Pillbox errors are a big, one of the biggest indicators of whether or not a patient understands and is ability, has an ability to execute a complex medication regimen. And this is probably one of the things within health literacy that we try to assess with these tools that we're not always able to catch. And I think that the ability to understand and then execute um, a regimen or be able to follow through with any kind of labs or anything like that are a really big indicator of a person's understanding of their health and if they're able to implement their literacy into action. Tanisha, can you tell us about your peer mentoring program? Yes, so I realized I needed to mentor others who may be in the same situation as I was in at such a young age, because when I needed a peer mentor, there wasn't one there. I had no one my age around to talk to. And sometimes I began to be a little frustrated because nobody my age could understand exactly what I was going through. Most of my friends were out having fun. They were able to just get up and travel whenever they wanted to travel go hang out in a different state for a day or two. Wow, I had to make arrangements to go absolutely anywhere. Say for instance, out of state anywhere, I would have to call and set up an appointment with the different dialysis centers, see if they had room for me and things like that. So I want to join a program where I was able to give back and I was able to communicate with people who were in the same or going through the same processes that I went through and needed someone to talk to like I needed someone to talk to. So being a peer mentor 
at University of Michigan, I am able to talk to many different people from many different places in life. I am able to present them with opportunities to become their own advocate. They're able to empower themselves, teach them how to communicate when it comes to the different processes that they have to go through, help them to understand the information that they are receiving from the physicians, teach them a little bit about the process, about how important it is to take care of your body so that you are ready for a transplant if one becomes available or when one becomes available. I'm a big person of speaking existence over yourself. So I tell them to use positive words. Don't use words like um, I'm not going to and I can't and I don't see, but instead use words like when my transplant becomes available, oh, I'm gonna go in my doctor's office today and we're gonna have an amazing visit today. You know, just speaking great things over yourself. I talked to them about support systems how to share your story with other people because it's it's a really frustrating point in life. And, you know, a lot of us, we are individuals that don't like to ask for help. And because we don't want to ask for help, we take on a lot and we close it in. We don't know how to necessarily tell somebody what we're going through. However, when you have a peer mentor call you and it is a person that has gone through everything that you have gone through, it is a breath of fresh air to let somebody know how you feel, to be able to express what you have learned from your physician and what you might not necessarily understand. I tell them to write down notes, write down questions that you may have that you may need to ask your physician. I believe the program helps to keep patients on track for a successful transplant. And I think that's exactly what a peer mentor does. I always tell my peers that someone else's story isn't your story. And you may hear negative things through this process. You'll hear plenty of positive things through this process, but create your own great story when it comes to transplant your health, being your own advocate and empowering yourself. That is so powerful and just impactful. And I'm so grateful for everything that you're doing as a peer mentor to help this group of patients that often don't even know where to go to ask for help or even what they need to ask help with. I often meet with a, a new transplant patient. I said, well, do you have any questions? We'll start with you. Do you have any questions? And they just kind of look at me with, I don't even know what question to ask because there's so many questions. And I'm so grateful of the power and empowerment you're giving this group of people to ask these questions. Our patients haven't ever been in a position where somebody is willing to listen to them ask questions when they say, do you have any questions? And, and we sit and mm -hmm. wait for questions to come. Yeah. So that is just so powerful. Karen, let's talk a little bit about why health literacy is important. What is the impact of health literacy and how does it impact outcomes and healthcare costs? What can you tell us about that? One thing I learned really early on in my career is when people don't understand what they're expected to do, they can't be what we say, I hate the word almost compliant, but labs aren't looking where they should when you're working with Bundells, their phosphoruses are high, but sometimes they don't understand why they need to take a medication or something. And a lot of times, especially with our binders, so 
does take with food. A lot of people don't eat meals. They might graze throughout the day. So that's just kind of one example. So they're not taking, they're only taking the binders once a day instead of three times because they don't think of their snack as a meal. Or a lot of times with diabetes and diabetes can lead to a lot of kidney problems. It can also lead to transplant patients losing their kidney. I've many times worked with diabetics that have been diabetic for 30 years, but they haven't been educated recently. And with our healthcare model now, we don't have enough time for patient education. We just start upping insulin and things instead of looking at what can we do with lifestyle. We just assume people aren't willing to make changes. The way we talk in healthcare and the way patients perceive it can be totally different. This morning, I was talking to one of my new transplant patients, and we were talking about leaving behind the kidney diet and going on with more of a heart-healthy diabetic diet, and we we're talking about eating vegetables and fruit. I've also gone to a lot of pictorial handouts, and when I first started using them, I'm like, okay, this is insulting, but I find it crosses all schemes of everything, whether somebody's a college professor or if they're a farm worker, they can see the pictures and a quick glance, especially when it comes to food and putting things together, see, okay, this is balanced. This is what it looks like. We don't wanna read a novel when we wanna eat. We just wanna have some samples and examples. So he was like, you know, we were talking about getting more vegetables and fruit. And he's like, well, the everybody keeps lying to me then because everybody throughout the transplant process has told me, eat whatever I want. I can go back to eating a normal diet. And that's sometimes I think a really big thing, what doctors perceive as normal is they're going to still follow their diabetes if they've had a kidney transplant, they're just going off the kidney restrictions. So there can be a lot of miscommunications. I know when I worked in dialysis, often I would assess people's ability to read by giving them a handout and asking them to repeat something on there. And if they're kind of looking at it, or they turn it upside down to read it, and you know, if the print is upside down, they're not reading. So it's a little cues, the visual cues that you can pick up on. Medical terminology can be confusing. This is not their normal. And when we're coming to the hospital, it's a totally different foreign experience to some people. And when their phosphorus is high, it can cause cardiovascular complications. Uncontrolled diabetes can cause readmissions after transplant because now all of a sudden they're taking medications or sugars are high, they're getting wound infections, especially if they're overweight. So a lot of times we don't understand, we think they understand things or especially my type one diabetics will come to me. It's like, I've been diabetic for years. And a lot of times I'll kind of say, well, when was the last time you were ever educated it's like well somebody tried to do it five years ago but I've been diabetic 30 years so I know what there is many of our type ones were diagnosed as a child their parents were instructed somebody tried to instruct them as a teenager but they weren't really getting it we need to meet people where they are not where we think they should be um, so when you have more admissions that's increasing the cost um, if their sugars are high that could cause, if a, when a diabetic, that could cause them to lose their new transplanted graft, which could lead to a needing another kidney, which is really a kind of hard on our resources when kidneys are so in short supply. So, you know, having well-knowledged, well-versed patients educated 
being able to talk to people. A lot of times I try to keep things simple and that's where even with my work with the National Kidney Foundation, we've really worked to change from the renal diet because that's kind of, people don't understand it to the kidney diet. And they're like, okay, that's for my kidney. I get that. So it's just some of the terminology and how we refer to things can really simplify it. I know years ago, we always looked at, okay, we need to have a fifth grade reading level. What the newer research shows, it's not necessarily the reading level because people can be very intelligent, read at a fifth grade level, but it's not in terminology that they know. So it's just learning to simplify things to put it into everyday practice. I, I have noticed there's a difference between people who lack a interest or desire to follow medical recommendations and, and people who lack an ability to follow medical recommendations because they don't understand. And I think that many people have an interest in doing what they need to do to stay healthy, but they just don't know how. And often those are the group of people that may not be referred to transplant because they're labeled as non-adherent when really they just don't know what they need to do. And so by, like you said, impacting health literacy and providing targeted education to people at a way they can understand it and absorb it, we can increase those transplant referrals and we can improve quality of life and improve healthcare. Anju, how can providers and healthcare workers understand when there's a gap in health literacy or when one of their patients have limited health literacy? What, is, what can we be looking for? What, what might that look like? So um, excellent question. I think Karen answered a lot of, uh, mentioned some of these things uh, earlier. We see a lot of patients, right, on a day-to-day basis. Some people you'll notice will come with a list of questions, their notepads ready or their phones ready to ask you the questions. They'll have even their labs in their hands, the printouts. You know, you don't worry about those questions. So you'll see three of those. And then the fourth patient will be someone who has no interest in what you're saying or has this dazed look. Um, where the person is not understanding anything and you have to kind of pick up on these, you know, unspoken words, the cues that whatever you're saying is not reaching or having the impact that it has and not serving the purpose, not serving for you, definitely not for the patient. So we have to look for these kind of subtle cues here and there to, you know, to diagnose or kind of understand that the patient might not be having the health literacy or the capacity to understand the instructions. And in my experience, I've noticed that it doesn't stay the same. Patients might be doing really, really well for a few months uh, or a few years, and then they kind of wane on and off, vaccine waning of this health literacy where they're very engaged in their care, and then there'll be a time when they are not. And this is kind of a spectrum of the health literacy that we can see that the the education and the engagement has to be continued over the years. um, And as long as they are seen by us to make sure that they understand that this is a lifelong thing. It's a life course and our association with them is a long-term and use every opportunity to kind of suspect it and engage with them. Some of the patients or people we interact with might be too shy or embarrassed to tell you that they didn't understand what you're saying because the information is conveyed so quickly and they might be intimidated by multiple people they're saying. Definitely, they're intimidated by the physicians. Um, they, they're just too embarrassed to ask us to repeat it or ask us to explain things in much more detail. They might have frequent admissions, like Karen alluded to, frequent ER visits or hospital admissions. Their labs are not where they're supposed to be. They're not doing well. Transplant patients you know, having um, sub-therapeutic levels or the, the trough levels are not where they should be. Or some people just lose out of contact. You cannot reach them because they're just not seeking care or they're not aware that they have to be 
you know, taking care or uh, asking for help. Patients might be confused with the medications or instructions, just taking the binders since we're talking about them, when to take the binders, how to take the binders, what is the timeline, how can they optimize their blood pressures by taking medications at a certain time. And they might not ask you, but having those discussions with them, asking them open-ended questions, how can I help you? Why do you think you are having this issue? Those clues and those interactions with them can help us to understand their health literacy and to you know, make interventions. Patients might be having uh, trouble filling out the forms. There might be insurance might lapse. Uh, they might not get their coverage for medications, their refills. Some people do not know how to read the instructions on the pill bottles, the phone numbers. They don't know who to contact, how many refills are left, what is the prescription doses or strength that is asked on those pill bottles, In taking insulins, taking their medications, doing the labs as you've asked them to, seeking the help from their primary care physicians. If any of these things are missing, then you know patient probably needs more help and their health literacy is not where it should be. And, uh, you know, we have to kind of engage them and get to that point that they get become their best advocate uh, without getting too overwhelmed with their lack of understanding or difficulty understanding. At our place, uh, at our institution, what we have done is we started to, we, we understood or realized that we have an issue where people were leaving the transplant evaluation clinic without understanding the instructions. So we had a pre and post questionnaire. And this is kind of blinded. We don't know as physicians or the healthcare providers, we don't know what's there in the questionnaire. And it's been seen by, you know, um, a third party and they look over the questions as to what questions were could not be answered by the patients before versus after. And if the education was effective enough to do that, it's something that we do within our institution. It helped us to understand and to emphasize the part of the education which required more work or more simplification, uh, more repetition sometimes than the one that the patient was easy to understand. I also believe that giving information in small packets or aliquots. So, uh, you know, when you go to dialysis unit, if you notice that a certain patient has three different issues going on, addressing just one issue in one week will give you more, uh, you know, benefit than talking about all three things every single time you see the patient, because it's too much to remember, too much to understand. So that can help you. We've started organizing patient education webinars through our local NKF chapter, New Jersey and Pennsylvania, to have engagement. It's direct patient uh, physician or healthcare worker to patient uh, webinars where they register their questions, they ask us questions. And these are, again, 10-minute talk. We don't prolong the talks so that it's not too much information. There are different people talking from different perspectives give the information that they need. So far, we have had very good engagement and uh, very good feedback, and we are including a variety of topics for all levels of kidney disease patients to help and get benefited from these education series. Andrew, that work that you're doing with NKF sounds uh, as if it's really impactful. And uh, I wanted to just mention some work that the National Kidney Foundation of Michigan is doing in bringing the Stanford Chronic Disease Self-Management Program to kidney patients in Michigan. So uh, the National Kidney Foundation of Michigan has developed a seven-week small group program called Personal Action Towards Health. And this is led by both a patient and a staff member from NKFM. And they go through different modules and really topics that are helpful for a patient in managing their chronic disease. 
One of the topics is diet and how to eat a healthy diet. Another topic is activity level and how to engage and increase activity. Uh, Also paying attention to their emotional health. Also their interactions with their physicians. So um, Andrew talked about, uh, you know, she has some patients who bring a list of questions and, you know, that's actually a topic in the PATH program um, to encourage patients to do that. So this is um, a great example of a way to help patients to really improve their engagement in the management of their chronic disease and really also uh, form a small community with each other um, as they get to know each other over these several weeks. The very last session is a panel discussion and there is uh, a dietitian, a social worker, and oftentimes a representative who can uh, discuss questions about dialysis and and transplant. So that's really also a great way that patients can engage and learn more um, about managing their disease. Amazing. Kanisha, can you tell us how a patient can understand when there's a gap? Did you ever experience a gap in health literacy and how did you overcome it? I did. Uh, I think I'll start with how I realized it was a gap in what I was receiving and what I was understanding. When I was receiving all of the information that I was taking in for my kidneys when they failed. So I went into the hospital one day and the next day I started dialysis. That was automatically a lot. But then we had everybody coming in and telling me what I had to do for a new lifestyle on top of that. The day before I am out having fun with my friends, I'm eating absolutely anything I wanted to eat. I'm drinking anything that I wanted to drink. The next day I am limited to a certain amount of fluids per day and I can only do certain foods. Well, that's a lot to take in at one time on top of starting dialysis, knowing that you have to go to the dialysis treatment three times a week for a certain amount of time. So somewhere in there, a lot of information got lost. This is where the knowledge comes in of me recognizing there is a gap in here. I am missing something somewhere. And part of that is because I'm overwhelmed at that moment. I encourage a patient to step back, take a breath, take a moment to just go over in your head what you just learned. It is a lot of different things being thrown to you at one time. And this is also why I say it's important to have a family member or somebody close with you to come to your appointments with you. Because when you are overwhelmed and when stuff starts sounding like womp, 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 womp to you, that family member is also there to kind of go through it with you as well and keep you on that path. I talk to a lot of patients I talk to a lot of people who are going through the process. And when I say, well, do you remember when your doctor talked to you about your binders, since we're talking about binders? Do you remember when your doctor talked to you about your binders? And they may may say, yeah, well, I'll take my binders after I eat my food. And I say, well, is that what they said? Or have you read your labels? Maybe you should get back with your doctor, go over everything with you. But what I understand is, People learn things at, on different levels. 
So me, I am a more visual person than I am a person that you can just hand a pamphlet to. I'm a person that you have to walk through the steps because even though I am reading it, I can comprehend it while I'm reading it. I comprehend it better on a visual level. Whereas my brother is a book person. He can read absolutely anything you lay in front of him and he'll remember every word. Everybody has a different level of comprehension and a way that they will comprehend what they are being told. I also encourage patients to ask questions during the moment when somebody is explaining something to them. If it is a word you don't understand, if it is an entire process that you don't understand, I encourage people to ask questions and ask them to repeat what they are saying. Ask for information. And if you don't necessarily understand it from your position or the person that is presenting the information from you, ask if they have somebody else to present the information to you. Maybe you understand it better coming from your nurse. When I first started dialysis, my physician, my doctor came in and told me, hey, you're going to start dialysis, you know, tomorrow. And this is what I need you to do. And this is what dialysis is. However, when that nurse came in, she came in and she broke everything down to me. It will always be some type of gap in there whenever you, with any patient that you have, because everybody learns things differently. So no matter what we try to do with paperwork and videos and just the materials that are created for everybody, there will always be some type of gap in there. And I think what we have to realize is if we are trying our best and our best comes from every side, if the patient is trying their best to comprehend and understand, the doctor is trying their best to explain everything that's going on and you read body languages and you are patient, I think we are able to close those gaps a little bit. They will get closer and closer and closer. And I also think that sometimes physicians are so used to presenting information in in a certain way. They're used to, say for instance, a certain age group that they're presenting that information to, that when a younger or older age group comes in, they're still presenting it in a way that the other patients may not understand. Right. So they may be speaking over their head. They may be speaking through the person. You can look directly at the person and talk to them. And that person may have absolutely no comprehension of what you're saying. I don't think all the information will be taken in as at one point. I also think that people need a gap in the information that they're receiving. I don't think we should present everybody with all of the information at one time, especially when you realize somebody is overwhelmed. And I think we made a couple of great points on here about meeting people where they are. We can't expect people to meet us where we are, especially when they are coming into a new process, but we have to learn to meet people where they are. And if we learn to meet people where they are, the gaps that we are seeing will come closer and closer to being closed because now you are relating to people. And when you relate to people, people understand more, people understand better. It's so amazing. And and it's so true. I know we talk about being where our patients are and, and just respecting their space. And, you know, in healthcare, I know we hear about it here. We want to be respectful of people's time. And, and sometimes in that, we think that they want more done in less days. 
And when we do more in less time, I feel like our patients walk away with less because they don't have that capacity to fully absorb it. And so stacking, you know, during rounds or, you know, in the hospital, stacking visit upon visit upon visit isn't helping them absorb what they need to absorb. Being respectful of their time, certainly, but, but when we get to the space where they needed to recall that information, they're not able to because they're thinking of all of the other pieces that they've learned. And so I think that that's part of being where, where they are and, and respecting their time um, is, is as much as the physical minutes that we are and what we're putting into those minutes. I have one last question for you guys. If you could each take maybe you know one to two minutes and tell me how health literacy and your awareness of health literacy has impacted your practice. I have been working in transplant for um, for many years. When I was first in this field was when I learned about the concept of adherence or non-adherence. You know, as a as a new social worker in transplant, you know, I was expected to assess adherence and uh, I, I would gather information and talk to dialysis centers and report what I, what I learned. Uh, and really over the years, it's become very clear to me that our patients are living very complicated lives. And there are so many reasons why in our observation of them, we may feel as if they are not doing what we've asked them to do, what we know is sort of the best way they can take care of themselves. You know, some of that is because they have families to take care of and they may not have the attention at that moment that we're providing the education to really absorb it. And so, you know, as a social worker, I want to be mindful of all of the challenges that patients have in their lives that could impact their ability to follow through with the things that we we want them to do, that we need them to do. And, you know, for me, health literacy has just been another area that I want to pay attention to so I can understand how to best help them to really be as successful as they can be in taking care of their transplant. So it, it has really broadened my understanding and, and, and really helped me to just focus on the patient and understand their challenges and situation and, and to, you know, support them in their learning in whatever way that I can. It's so important. What about you, Karen? Wow. That's a really hard question in a way. And I think as I've been a dietitian for over 30 years, way I talk to people, way I think about things change. And I I think one of the two things come to mind when I first came to transplant as a dialysis dietitian, I always assumed, okay, we're not going to address sodium. They've had high blood pressure for years. They've been diabetic for years. Sodium should be very basic. Let's look at potassium. Let's look at phosphorus. Let's look at the albumin. And when I came to transplant, one of the things was assessing the whole knowledge. And when I started talking to people and doing diet recalls, I found out point blank, we really didn't understand sodium. I remember doing a diet recall with a patient. He's like very adamant. I don't take anything with salt. And he told me to eat 
eaten a hot dog and then for dinner he'd had pork chops with smothered pork chops and when I asked him what was the smothering he's like it was cream of mushroom soup and he had no clue that there was sodium in there so a lot of people are thinking what we shake on the food but they're not aware of the more processed foods and I think that was very much of a eye-opener for me as far as how basic we have to be sometimes and how we have to really meet people where they're at. And just like sometimes we assume we've talked to them, they take away that point. I was brand new to transplant and I was talking to a person, we were doing a diabetes education, I was doing a follow-up and we talked the week before about physical activity and how that would decrease his insulin resistance. And he had a seven-year-old with him and he's like, you know, I went for a walk and asked my son if he could go hunting. And he's like, wow, daddy, can you do that? His whole, his son's whole life, his dad had been on dialysis. Listening to the stories and learning to listen to people where they're at, you can really get a better understanding of where they're coming from and where we need to start. And some people were looking at balance and their balanced meal might be fries and a burger they don't really know anything about the vegetables and fruit and how it can have long-term impact on their health. A lot of times talking to people about dry weight, I'll often ask people, how much fluid do you gain between treatment or what's your dry weight? And these are people that have been dialysis for five or more years and they have no clue what the dry weight is. It's like, well, it's the weight that I leave out at. So I think sometimes we get so accustomed to what we're doing, especially in dialysis, that we're so repetitive that we think everybody's getting it and they don't want to ask questions. And because they hear us talking about so much, they're like, okay, I, I should know what my dry weight is. But many people really have no clue. And for a lot of diabetics, it's just eating three balanced meals. It's nothing spectacular doing diet recalls and asking them, you know, to repeat back what they learned or what can you take away from today? That's been a really eye opener. When I first started as a dietitian, we wouldn't have done that with the more trainings where we're doing more teach back and kind of having people problem solve and put things together. You really get to identify the gaps and kind of adjust where you're going. I think I used to do a lot of overwhelming because especially in transplant, I might only have one visit in the five years with the patient. I wanted to give them everything. And as I get more experience and we were doing Zoom video visits and assessments, it really opened my eyes when I kept things simple, maybe one or two, because when you don't have that interaction, now, now you've got a whole new health literacy because now you've got people using technology to gain it. And some people don't know how to do Zoom and they're fearful of that. So I think it's really eye-opening. And when I first started, a lot of times when I was in the dialysis unit, I'd take, a, take around a binder card where I'd have the pills to the card because people would be like, I take the little yellow pill for my stomach. And they don't realize every drug company makes the pill in a different colors, but they had no clue of the name. Or I'd ask people, bring in your pill boxes. I want to just see what you're doing. They'd bring in their high blood pressure meds and their binders that had been filled in July. And now it's December and they'd had a month's supply. So that was kind of another way to kind of help assess some of the gaps. If we don't know why we're doing it, we're not going to make changes. Everybody wants to do the right thing. And when we convince ourselves that we're doing what we're supposed to, we're not going to make change. That's so true. 
What about you, Anju? It's an interesting question which made me think about, about how I've evolved as a physician. Since graduating as physicians, we are taught to learn the medicine or the science behind the medicine. And my experience as a physician has shown me that to have the best outcome, you need more than just the science. It's such a complex interplay of various factors, you know, this social structure, the background, the education, where in the health spectrum they are, how sick they are, how aware of their medical condition they are. So there's various things that play into picture. I've learned not to just assume things. I try to listen to my patients when I'm talking to them because they sometimes come up with the solutions themselves. And if they feel that they are heard and not just, you know, check, we are not just checking off the things in the chart, they, they open up. They will come up with the problems. And I have been surprised that a lot of times they will come up with the solutions too. I have had people tell me that, the best way they can take a medication is to number the pill bottles and they will take them as prescribed just by following the numbers you have numbered the pill bottle. I've had single mothers who were labeled as non-adherent with dialysis because it was the time to pick up the child and done wonderfully after the transplant, never missed a single dose of any medication. So I've learned to just take a pause, not to rush in the visits, listen to them. They will tell you everything that there is to and they will tell you their problems if they feel they have a, you know someone who can listen to them. Calibrate your visits. If you feel someone is having a rough time at home, don't go into too much of medical nitty-gritty. Try to address what they're going through. Acknowledge and just limit the visit to that day to the things that are more immediate. Spend time with them more about counseling, about diet, because if they know the reason behind why we are giving each instructions, they, 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 there's a more likelihood of them following instructions and having the best outcome. It gives them the joy of enjoying a good, healthy life and gives us the joy that we are making a difference in their lives. I think as a physician in past few years, I've evolved and my focus has gone more into the educating the patients, their support system, so that they can have the best from what they're getting from the visits and the, every interaction they have with us. That's great. Katie, what about you? Any impacts on your practice? I think that my understanding of health literacy and not just like personal health literacy, but organizational health literacy has had a huge impact on, on my practice in general, because it is, it is so necessary for patients to be successful. And I think sometimes we perceive, I think the biggest thing in terms of like my mindset when it comes to health literacy is that we perceive non-adherence or low health literacy in our patients as something is voluntary, something that they, they just don't want to do, or they just don't want to engage with us. And I think it's really due to like multiple factors that we just don't always understand, or we're not assessing like education levels or understanding of the materials that we provide from an organizational level, you know, cost, access, transportation. It is this huge puzzle that takes so many pieces and I think one of the things that health, like the understanding of health literacy and understanding that it is a multimodal, very complex thing, and it's so individual to each patient, what it really encompasses for me or what it's changed in my practice is the way that I approach every single patient has become much more individualized. So if I see pillbox errors in a clinic, or if I see that a patient's tacrolimus level is less than one or zero because they're not taking their medications. I don't always, you know, approach every single patient the same. 
I kind of equate it to whatever you're learning in school. First time you hear something, you're not going to get it right away. You have to hear it multiple times and you have to hear it multiple ways because everybody learns different ways too. Some of us are kinesthetic learners. Some of us are audio learners or visual learners. And so being able to provide all those different platforms to a patient in order to address all those different ways that they could be having issues with health literacy has really changed my practice. And I think by having all those platforms available to a patient makes them more successful in the end. And so I think that's the way it's really changed my practice is it's not a one size fits all. It takes a lot of different ways to reach a lot of different patients. And to think that we shouldn't be individualizing it, our approach is probably wrong on our part. But I think by understanding all these tools, assessments, and materials, it really helps us to make every single patient individually successful. And finally, Tanisha, how has this impacted you as a peer mentor? I know you've talked about it a bit before, but any you know, one or two key takeaways? Yeah, a couple of things that I learned from today is to ask people, what can I do to help you understand all of the information that I am giving you? How can I help you understand everything that's going on? to meet people where they are. I think that's a great one. To always realize that you should meet a person exactly where they are. You can't expect a person to do any more than they can do. Remember that the patient isn't your previous patient or your next patient. That patient is that patient. That people have a lot going on in their life outside of their health conditions. And that plays a large factor in the decisions that they make. And sometimes we have to understand that although they aren't making the, quite the best decisions for themselves at the time, to not stop encouraging them to do the best that they can do. Patients can frustrate people. I'm a patient. I know I can frustrate my physicians sometimes. Keep empowering them. Keep speaking positivity over your patients. And people like to do what's best for them. And if you allow them to do what's best for them, I think we'll all have a great outcome. Wow. Every time I talk about health literacy, I really feel like together we can all change the world. I, I think that this is such a root and Colleen, you, I have to credit you with being the first person to really introduce me to health literacy and just how impactful and important it is and how we can really improve outcomes for people, not in a, in a way that is self-serving for the medical community, but in a way that is wholly serving for the renal community and, and beyond. Just a couple of takeaways that I feel like I really want us to have today. So I want us to recognize that it is important to recognize poor health literacy as our patients may need help understanding and navigating a complex healthcare system. They will require culturally competent providers who speak their language so that they can make informed choices. And to remember that education level is not always predictive of health literacy level. Even in the medical field, if people don't work in the renal community, lab values that you feel comfortable with in a general population patient are going to overwhelm you in a renal patient, even if those are normal. I know I work with a lot of spouses that are nurses and, oh, I got this, I understand all this, but it is, can be such a different community and different application of their labs. I want us to take away that there are many ways to assess and intervene on health literacy, and it can always be impacted. It does not take the whole team to impact health literacy, and everyone on the team can impact health literacy, but 
although it's wonderful to do it as a team, one person can make such an impact on it. And to never forget how important your impact is as a way to avoid it. If somebody, you feel somebody else is not doing it, health literacy is fluid. It can be improved upon. It can come back if someone enters a new disease state and, and they get bogged down with that medical jargon and, and disease state. And so to be always assessing and always intervening in health literacy. I wanna thank our panel members for their contributions to this important discussion and to all of our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on this ride of the CUNY commute. Remember that eligible audiences can earn CE credit for listening to this episode by clicking on the link in the episode description. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, please email the team at nkfpodcast at kidney.org and stay tuned for future huddles. And in the meantime, continue to let new perspectives inspire your practice. Thank you all so much.